0: from 2nd Samuel chapter 23 verse 8 to 10 and i'm reading from the new living translation these are the names of david's mightiest warriors the first was jeshobe the hatmonite who was leader of the 3 the 3 mightiest warriors among david's men he once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle Next in rank among the three was Eliasar, son of Dodai, a descendant of Ahoah. Once Eliasar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Beth-Ann. And uh, so good to have you at uh, Terwilliger Community Church. Beth-Ann uh, got to know her through taking the Hearing God Seminar. Good to have you here. Well, it's a joy to welcome you all uh, this morning. Um, And it's a treat this morning to have Daniel Radke uh, sharing with us. uh, 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 He is the nephew to Rudy and Brenda Radke and uh, Herb and Kathy Radke. Mom and Dad are here with us this morning. Good to have you folks. Um, And uh, Daniel just serves, he serves with YWAM. He's been in China for nine years and uh, he and his wife Kirsten. Uh, they have two children, a little girl just born here December 29th, so uh, congratulations to you folks. We've just invited Daniel to come and say a few words about uh, uh, living in China, serving with YWAM, and uh, all that God is doing in his life, so let's give him a warm welcome.
2: Thank you for having us this morning, um, what Pastor Ken didn't mention is that when I was five, six years old. He was actually my pastor at West Meadows, and uh, Mrs. McDonald was my grade one teacher, so <laughs> there's some history there, too. Um, yeah, like he said, uh, I've been in China for nine years. Um, my wife, Kristen, uh, came to our team about six years ago. We met there, um, and a year later, we were married, uh, a little over a year. But yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit about uh, what, what God's doing in China and, and what God's doing in our ministry, um, so, I'm with YWAM, but our, we are part of a smaller ministry called Bridges, um, and it's called Bridges for two, two reasons, really. It's a bridge into China, uh, so bringing missionaries like myself into China, because there's such a great need in that nation. Uh, there's over, there's 1.4 billion people there, and, you know, hundreds of millions have never heard the gospel before. Um, broken families, they're orphans, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. And so we do evangelism, we do different types of mercy ministries. Um, there's, yeah, a lot of different things that, that we're a part of. And then the other part is a bridge out of China. Um, and so China's a pretty unique country in that even though there's uh, hundreds of millions that have never heard the gospel, it is also home to a thriving and growing uh, church, possibly the most Christians in the world. Uh, over over hundred million is the estimate, um, and so we want to see that raised into a mission force, and that's actually a vision of the Chinese church, um, to send one million missionaries into the world by 2050. Um, to give a little perspective, uh, there's only about 250,000 missionaries worldwide today, and so that would quadruple the number. Um, sent. And so that's a vision of the Chinese Church, and we're really we're a very small part of that vision, but uh, we're a part of training and equipping Chinese missionaries to be sent. Um, another really exciting thing is that sometimes they can go to places that we can't. Um, the Chinese Church and the Chinese people have different giftings and strengths than we have, and in places like Iran and and places in the Middle East, they don't like. Americans, they don't like Canadians, but they like Chinese people, and they like their business, and so there's an open door that we might not have, and so that's, that's really what we're a part of. Um, yeah, it's really exciting to be a part of God raising up a huge mission for us, um, but at the same time also reaching the Chinese people too. Um, so we, we run schools, we run training, we do a lot of different things. We're a part of a team uh, of about nine people, uh, we live in south-central China, and uh, yeah, for the foreseeable future, that's where we'll be. Um, so please pray for us, please pray for China, um, for the needs there, and also that this vision would really hit the ground. It's, it's just at the beginning stages, but we really want to see those those million missionaries sent. Um, if you're interested, you can also get our newsletters. Um, yeah, if you talk to us in the back, if you miss us, maybe you can talk to Pastor Ken or to... Um, Rudy or Brenda Radke. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for your, your prayers and thank you for allowing us to speak today.
1: Wow, thank you. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's a wonderful dream and vision that you have. Our prayers are with you. And uh, it's cool to see Kids grow up. These were our next door neighbors. They were two houses down for uh, a number of years. So it's really cool to see uh, people grow up, love the Lord, go to different parts of the world to serve Him. So, uh, well, how are you all doing out there? It seems a tad early, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the first time you really agreed with me for a long time. <laughs> uh, my daughter goes to church in uh, Michigan. And their church decided that they would not go on Daylight Savings until after the service. So that they put their service back an hour or just stayed regular until this afternoon. I thought, what a great idea. On the other hand, I thought, what a bunch of softies, eh? That they can't get up and get going. What's wrong with them? So if you need a coffee, there's coffee back there. Uh, I wanted to tell you that the prayer summit is next Sunday evening. So excited about our prayer summit. I hope when the friendship book comes by a little bit later on today that you'll just sign up and say, we're gonna be for, there for supper. Uh, Nord will announce it and, uh, and we just wanna be part of that prayer summit. I do have a picture because we have some real exciting news. Uh, there is a picture of uh, Selena Klombick. There she is. She's going to be, you've been praying, she's going to be our new children's director at Southwest Community Church. She is graduating from Vanguard College here in a number of weeks, and she has accepted the position to be part of the new ministry over at Southwest. So we're really excited. I think you'll meet her next week probably, and so excited to have her. Well, I think I need to have you stand just to get a little energy here, so let's do that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for, uh, for Daniel and Kirsten. Kirsten, I pray for them. Uh, so excited, Lord, that you're blessing them. Lord, would, would that would be wonderful if there'd be a million missionaries. That'd be awesome, Lord. Bless that dream, we pray. And Lord, thank you for us today to be here. And we ask your blessing upon your word. Just like we would ask blessing on food as it's to be eaten, Lord, we pray this spiritual food would be blessed of you richly this morning and that you would speak your truth into our lives. You know exactly what we need to hear today, each one of us individually, and the Holy Spirit is faithful to do that. So we open and ask our, our Father that you would speak to us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We've been camped over in Second Samuel 23 for a little while, and it seems like we should stay there one more Sunday uh, today. So, if you've just joined us this morning, uh, we've uh, we've been landscaping uh, our sightseeing. I mean, in some unfamiliar landscape. Um, our theme is against all odds. Uh, I wanted to say first, if you ever get a chance to visit En Gedi uh, in Israel you will see some uh, beautiful beautiful country it'll catch you off guard a little bit uh, to see this landscape in comparison to other parts of the country but Engedi is is rugged country rugged hills and caves just the perfect place for david to hang out with his motley crew of guys probably about 400 in number and they they had to find caves and And uh, there's a lot of guys to keep under cover and to feed them and to make sure that they had shelter at night. Uh, What a job for David. Uh, But that's where they lived, in the hills of Engedi. However, David handed out the Oscars to uh, 37 of his guys. They were the mighty men of David's Navy SEAL commandos. They were amazing guys. And David, in 2 Samuel 23, if you'll follow with us today, is having some reflective moments before he drifts off the scene. He can't help but recall how terribly significant these men were to him as he fulfilled God's calling on his life to be the king of Israel. That God had anointed him for that purpose, but these men made it possible for him to overcome the huge obstacles that were in his way Especially that one biggie, King Saul, who was ridiculously jealous of David. King Saul, along with the Philistines, uh, kept David and his commandos on the edge of their seats for 14 years. Never a dull moment. And uh, David longed for the time when this would be over. And he would be free to assume his role as the nation, the leader of the nation that God had called him to and he knew that God had anointed him for that calling. But these were amazing guys. Loyal, rugged, uh, determined, dreamers, discontent with the way that the nation was headed under King Saul, but wonderfully respective of David, who was most gracious to King Saul. David could have taken out King Saul many times. But because of his huge respect for authority, he did not. And these guys watched how David operated, and they too learned that respect. When David Livingston, the missionary pioneer, was working in Africa, some friends wrote to him, and they said, We should like to send other men to you. Have you found a good road into your area yet? And Livingston wrote back. He said, If you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. That's the kind of men that David had. Leadership Magazine carried a little cartoon a number of years ago, poking fun at the modern church and the humorous cartoon was having a little fun with the low level of commitment required in many modern churches. And it pictured a church building with a sign in front which read, The Light Church. 24%, uh, should be a slide on there, 24% fewer commitments, home of the 7.5% tithe, 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship services. We only have eight commandments, your choice. I'm just having fun here, not scolding the church. Since I'm a pastor, I know it's always easy to take a shot, but it's another thing to get in there and make it better. Just to say, though, that David didn't stand alone, not in the commitment he made to God, not in the commitment that he'd made to the nation. Surrounding him were a band of mighty men who were incredibly committed, unbelievably committed. They were fierce competitors, makes you aware that if if God's going to accomplish a great work among us, then he wants to raise up a band of mighty men in our day. And I would say women as well. Uh, we, We need the mighty women of the 21st century to rise up. But you can know that the women will be there if the men will step up. So we're thankful for the men of TCC, we're thankful for the men of Southwest Community Church, the men who will step forward, and uh, we're completely confident that when the men step up, that the women will be inwardly very pleased and very honored, and they will enthusiastically put their foot on the starting blocks, and, and they'll be ready to go. So men and women, this is the time. This is the time to ask, what's holding me back? I hear the calling of God to be my best. I will say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Put a circle around verse 9 of 2 Samuel 23 as we begin to learn a couple of things from one of David's best of the best. His name is Eleazar. Verse 9. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar. Eleazar. Son of Dodai, a descendant of Ahoah, once Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. Now, if you're reading from the New International Version, the phrasing is a tad different Next to him was Eleazar son of Dodai, the Ahite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdamon for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword, froze to the sword. Now some of the translations say defied the Philistines, others say that Eleazar taunted them. So whatever Eleazar was doing, he was standing his ground. Was he defying the Philistines? Was he taunting them? Was he trying to lure them into a trap? We don't really have enough information to say for sure. Whatever happened there did not resonate, resonate however, with the Israelite army. I don't know if you're following on that, but it took me a little while to clue into the fact that this is probably not David's men that fled. Because apparently King Saul's army was also fighting the Philistines in this geographical region. But it would appear that they got out of there and left. And here was David and Aliazar fighting single-handedly against the Philistines and taking them on. I can't imagine and look what it says. These two men stood together, almost like back to back, watching one another's back. And, and they're standing their ground, taking the Philistines out one by one. And it says that they fought all day long, didn't even take a lunch break. And at the end of the day, Eleazar is famous for the word frozen. He's the original frozen. He, he killed Philistines until his hand was too tired. It was frozen to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. Let's talk about this guy, Eleazar. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) That was last week. Um, Let's talk about this guy, Eleazar. What can you learn from him? You see, he was a guy a whole lot like Benaniah. Uh, He hitched his dream to David's dream They had the same dreams, but he saw where David was going and he said, that's where I want to go too. So as someone has said, when you don't care who gets the credit, you can do amazing things. And it's true, isn't it? I mean, if you don't care what role you play and you just see that the dream is important and whoever gets the credit gets it, it doesn't matter if anybody gets the credit, let's just accomplish the dream. Many a church has lost sight of its objectives. The objective is always to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Always. And to make his name known throughout the community, throughout the world. That's always the objective. Here are some ways to fight for your dream. Whatever shape that dream takes. Number one, give it your best. Give it your best. Bring your best. Bring your best all the time. Your dream requires your best. Someone has said that success is when those who know you best respect you most. Stephen Covey said that most people are so busy uh, climbing the ladder of success that they fail to realize it's leaning against the wrong wall. So before you go after your dream... You want to be sure you have the right dream. I don't know if the name Bob Goth is familiar to you. He's a lawyer. He's an author. He's a New York Times bestselling author. And I can't remember his book at the moment. Uh, It's a great book. Uh, But here's one of his quotes. He said, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me. He said, but now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I love those words of Bob Goth. What if I succeed in the things that don't really matter? Mark Patterson wrote these words, Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. You don't die when your heart stops beating. You die when your heart stops skipping a beat in pursuit of the dream that God has given to you. Give it your best. Where has God called you to serve? Where are your dreams? Why not give it your best? Be faithful in the little things right today and you'll see God writing your resume for tomorrow. Faith is the willingness to look foolish. Faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second step. Because He'll just reveal one step at a time. He doesn't unroll the scroll for us. It's just a step at a time. So bring your best. In the past year, we've spent some time in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. What a great verse that is. Uh, And you just kind of watch Jesus bring his best. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Scorning its shame. How do you endure nine inch spikes through your hands and feet? And not resent it. And not be filled with hatred and injustice. Jesus did it because he had a clear vision, a clear dream of his end goal. And it was your salvation and my salvation. So, number one, give it your best because you know what real success is it's hitching your dream to the purposes of God for your life. Secondly, be diligent. Uh, Eliezer didn't grow into the best of the best without due diligence. I'm sure his whole life was one of training and learning and growing, and once he had the dream, he took the next steps to be faithful and diligent. You don't enter into battle like Eliezer did without doing some due diligence through the years to get to that point where it's crisis time. Your dream doesn't come fully assembled like the new lawnmower you buy at Home Depot. I think I'm thinking spring here. Your dream has to be worked on. It's one step at a time. You have to give your attention to what's next. Lord, where now? Lord, where should I be reading? What should I be reading? What should I be thinking about? Lord, where now? What will help me take the next steps? And your dream is just step by step, one piece at a time. And you look back and you say, wow, God has taken me a long ways, but I'm still working on my dream. You get into shape one workout at a time. You get out of debt one payment at a time. You earn your degree one course, one class at a time. You get to your destination one kilometer at a time. You produce an album one rehearsal at a time. You get the promotion one faithful day after another. On the afternoon of April 18th, 1946, Jackie Robinson made his appearance as the first black player in the modern era of the major leagues. And you know what? He hit a three-run homer. First time up in the major leagues. Oh, don't you love it? First time up, he he tags a 3 baser. And George Shuba was up to bat next. He extended his hand in a congratulatory gesture. And an Associated Press photographer captured the moment. It was one small handshake, but one giant leap for racial equality in professional sports. And George Shuba went on to play seven seasons for the Brooklyn Brooklyn Dodgers. And someone wrote a book, and they said that Shuba's swing was as natural as a smile. And Shuba laughed and he said, in effect, if you only knew, <laughs> as natural as a smile. Because during the off-season, Shuba would swing a weighted bat 600 times a day. And that was working his, full, his full-time jobs. And then after, at night, he would take 60 swings and then mark an X on the chart. And after 10 Xs, he would give himself permission to go to bed. And Shuba practiced the daily ritual for 15 years. He said, you call that natural, as natural as a smile? He said to the writer of the book, he said, I swung a 44-ounce bat 600 times a night, 4,200 times a week, 47,200 swings every winter. He was diligent because he knew what he wanted to become. When you're diligent like Eliezer, you put together your dream one step at a time. How are you doing? Have you grown discouraged? Just jump back on the track again. Don't let your dream go. Do you have to figure out another way to tackle it? Does the road seem longer? That's okay. Maybe God's doing something in the delay. Maybe it's your timing, not God's. Is the dream one that honors God? That's the most important question. Is it more about God than about you? One step at a time. One swing of a bat at a time. One swing of a sword at a time. One practice at a time. Thirdly, rub shoulders with someone further along than you. Verse 9 says that once Eleazar and David stood together with, against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. I mean, what a treat to walk with David. There was so much to learn from David. He was gifted as a warrior, but he was gifted with his heart. He had a great heart. And don't you, don't you just think that Eleazar took it all in when he was with David. And then to be able to be in military conquest with this great man. Their hearts were knit together as they stood their ground, defending one another, but also winning a great victory. Soldiers have an amazing comradeship. Joshua, yeah, got around Moses and took over for him and led the children of Israel into the promised land. Wow, thank God for Joshua. Joshua. Elisha got around Elijah, and he learned from him. And when Elijah left in such a dramatic way, Elisha got Elijah's mantle and a double portion of his anointing. And remember Ruth? She wouldn't leave her mother-in-law, Naomi. And the decision led her to marry Boaz and marry him. And they had a boy named Obed, who had a boy named Jesse, who had a boy named David? Oh my. It all came because of who she was hanging out with, Naomi. John Maxwell talks about rubbing shoulders with leaders who are ahead of him, Uh, especially in his younger days. He would do that. He would take an eight and a half by 11 inch pad of paper and he would just ask questions. He'd ask all kinds of questions and he would write down their answers and what he'd learned. Who can you rub shoulders with that will help you grow and help you achieve your dreams. And then fourthly, becoming a lifelong learner. We're always learning. We're always learning. When, when we're learning, we're growing. Isn't it refreshing to see some people at 75, 80 years of age, and they're at university taking a class? Not because they have to, but, but because they want to. Isn't it refreshing to see people reading and writing and engaged and serving because they're inspired to keep on learning? We don't know the limitations of Eliezer. We don't know how he might have even felt about himself and his background. Maybe he got inspiration from his own name. His name in Hebrew means the Lord is my helper. We cannot fight spiritual battles in our own strength or with our own power. Success in spiritual warfare only comes from allowing God to work in our hearts, to protect us, to guide us, to speak through us. The Bible also tells us that he was a son of Dodi. In the King King James Version it actually says, Dodo. I didn't want to emphasize that too much. And the word means uh, brotherhood. The, the, The spiritual picture is of a man who loved his brothers. Maybe he learned from his family. And then he started learning from David. I mean, you can learn a lot from your own family. What do you need to learn? Uh, Can you see how your parents or your spouse or your children have already learned that? You can learn it from them. Can we learn to stay on the growing edge? What does it take to stay on the cutting edge of God's purpose for your life? As you know, Kodak dominated the film industry for years and years and years and years. It controlled 85% of camera sales. At one time in its heyday, it had a, it had a net worth of $28 billion. Anybody heard of Kodak lately? You always hear about the Kodak moment, but they lost their moment. Why? In 1975, a small team at Kodak built their first digital camera. (laughs) Listen to this. It weighed 8.5 pounds. And it had a resolution of .01 megapixel. It took 23 seconds to snap a picture. They kind of gave up and left the digital race. And the rest is history. They missed the opportunity to compete in today's market because they lost their growth edge. They missed the Kodak moment. How are you doing? Still keeping fresh? Still dialed in? Still learning and growing? Still dreaming and saying, "With God's help we can take this hill. Where's God calling you these days? What does he want you to do? Are you willing to grow and stretch? And be open to all that the Spirit wants to do in your life. Finally, take your commitment to the next level. We glamorize success, but it always comes back to basics. You have to practice scales, you have to practice skills, you have to practice techniques over and over and over again. And it takes a lot of sacrifice. With usually starts with setting your alarm Early in the morning and getting up and getting going. <clears throat> I don't know if Eliezer got up early in the morning to practice his sword swing, but he got real good at it. He was a pro. Maybe he was like George Shuba, had swung his sword 600 times a night before he went to bed. And his peripheral vision got so good that he could, he could see them coming from every direction. And he was awfully ag- accurate with his swings. You don't want to be in front of Eleazar when he's swinging his sword. And he took it to the next level. He fought so hard and he determined that he couldn't release his, ha- his, his hand from the handle of the sword because it was, it was frozen. And the Israelite army deserted David and Eleazar and left them alone. Maybe they really did have to take it to the next level because they they were all alone. And maybe that's situations in life where you're all alone. Got to take it to the next level. And maybe the army leaving just really brought out the best in Eliezer. I read the story then when Martin Luther went to a man in the religious establishment and told him, that what he had discovered in the scripture. And Martin Luther was just bubbling with joy and he said, you know, the just shall live by faith. And then I've discovered that and I I realize that it's a a relationship with God and it it comes through grace. And the prudent old gentleman said to him, my brother, go back to your cell. Keep your thoughts to yourself. Serve God and make no disturbance. Well, the Reformation would have never happened if Luther would have listened to his advice. Prudence doesn't always win the day. Luther was a committed servant of God and the road he chose was not easy, but he clung to the sword in his hand and he never let go. And he listened to God as best he could. We, we live in a culture that celebrates 15 minutes of fame, but God honors a lifetime of faithful service. Someone has called it long obedience in the same direction. Which means if you keep doing the right thing day in, day out, look out. Someday, way, somehow, God's going to show up. He's going to bring the richness of his blessing. John Wooden, the legendary basketball coach with UCLA, lived by a simple creed. He said, make each day your masterpiece. Make each day your masterpiece. Win the day, win the practice, win the class, win the meeting. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So, some reminders from the life of a warrior, a friend of David, an inspiration to all of us, and his name is Eliezer. And he teaches us to fight for our dreams. Give it your best, be diligent. Rub shoulders with someone further along than you are. Become a lifelong learner, (coughs) and take your your commitment to the next level. Well, let's stand together as we pray and give thanks for this man, the Old Testament, who teaches us so much. Our Father. continually renew in us hearts to give you our best throughout our journey. Lord, help us all. to be real clear on the right dreams to follow. And may we be counted faithful. Guide our brothers and sisters as they fight for their dreams and for their passions to follow you. And everyone said,